Well, friends, welcome to church today. My name is Michael Hands, and I'm the lead minister of our New Life family. And today's a little bit different. I am obviously have recorded this message previously. And the reason behind that is, the message I have today is one for our family. We're in a season and in a series called Rhythms. And the message God has on my heart today, I believe is going to set us up across our family of churches for where He leads us, not just in the coming weeks, but as we lead into Vision Sunday in February and into the rest of 2021. So as John has already said, this won't happen often, but for these rare moments where God has a message for our church, I believe it's important we're able to celebrate and sit under the Word together in this way. Would you join with me as we pray? Father, I thank you so much for the privilege and blessing of technology, that we can use it in moments like this to to be able to listen and sit under the Word of God together. Lord, I pray powerfully right now that wherever this, my voice is being heard, that more than me, your voice would be heard, that your presence would be made known, that the tangible reality of your spirit would be experienced. God, help me to communicate well today. And may the limitations of technology, may it not limit or put boundaries around what we expect you to do in and through this time together. Less of me, more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1984, one of the greatest movies, maybe of all time, one off, not saying the, but one of the greatest movies of all time was released. I don't know if you ever saw it. It was called The Karate Kid. Phenomenal movie, a real family classic, and I loved it when I watched it growing up. I wasn't born in 1984, but I think it's a timeless classic. If you haven't seen the movie, the synopsis follows a young boy named Johnny who's experiencing the challenges of being bullied and beaten up at school. So he comes across a man named Mr. Miyagi. And Mr. Miyagi is a Kung Fu master. And Mr. Miyagi promises to teach Johnny how to do Kung Fu. Johnny rocks up the first day and he makes a covenant with, with Mr. Miyagi that he will do whatever it takes to learn Kung Fu. And after that moment, after Johnny's made that promise, Mr. Miyagi begins the first lesson. Now, if you know, then you know this famous moment. He hands Johnny a bucket of water and a sponge and says, go and wax my car. Johnny's confused, says, I thought you were going to teach me Kung Fu. He says, no, 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 you got to trust me. Go wax my car. And Mr. Miyagi teaches him how to wax on and wax off the car. And over the next couple of moments in the movie, you see frustration build in Johnny as he is performing these duties for Mr. Miyagi that he's like, how is this even helping me become a Kung Fu master? Until one moment, Johnny breaks down and he says to Mr. Miyagi, I thought you were teaching me Kung Fu not just to wax your car. And Mr. Miyagi in this beautiful moment says, wax on as he prepares to strike Johnny with a Kung Fu move and Johnny blocks it with wax on. Then he says, wax off, and Johnny blocks the next blow with wax off. And it dawns on Johnny that this moment of learning how to wax on and wax off a car was actually learning the fundamentals of what it meant to be a Kung Fu master. And you see that waxing the car moves from a duty to a delight. As Johnny sees how Mr. Miyagi was leading him to become something he would otherwise not have been able to become. And I use this analogy because I think this is actually such a beautiful understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You see, the truth is, friends, is sometimes following Jesus can feel like a duty. 
and, and there are things that we can sense that God's calling us to do, like pray and read our Bible and, and go to church. And we're like, why are these things happening? Why is Christ asking these things of me? But these things, I believe, are the wax on and wax offs of the Christian faith. See, too many Christians or too many people think that following Jesus or, or becoming a Christ follower is literally just about asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins and then attend church when you feel like it so that you can hear a nice message that makes you feel better about whatever you're walking through. And, and this just isn't the gospel. In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would go and say that there is a gospel in the Western world today that is known as the cheap grace gospel, which says that I can ask for forgiveness from Christ. I can say, hey, Jesus, I'm sorry for what I've done. And, and he wipes the slate clean and he expects nothing of us. This is called cheap grace. See, to be a follower of Christ is to recognize that it's not just about forgiveness of sins. See, Christianity isn't just about even behavior modification, but as Dallas Willard would say, it's about spiritual transformation. And, and this whole series called Rhythms is us asking the question, do we have rhythms in our life that may feel like waxing on and waxing off, but that are leading us to become more like Jesus. See, this is essential to what Jesus came to do. Jesus did not come to the earth to make Christians. Jesus did not come to the earth to make Christians. He came to make disciples. And I want to suggest that perhaps maybe the Christian church today is filled with too many Christians and not enough disciples. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, discipleship was central to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 to 20. Literally one of the favorite verses of our church. We use it a lot. Jesus says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you to do. It's one of the last things Jesus says, make disciples. But who does he say it to? His disciples. Because see, disciples make disciples. To follow Jesus is to be a disciple. You know, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, a verse we landed on last week on the Gold Coast was this, come to me, Jesus says, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. I would love rest. But he, he goes on. Take my yoke upon you and what? Learn from me. See, Jesus seems to be intent about focusing on this process of learning, of learning how to wax on and wax off. See, theologians take the word disciple and they think that a better word for the word disciple would actually be apprentice. That Jesus is coming along and saying, come and be my apprentice. When he says, come and follow me, he's saying, come and apprentice under me. And this is a really helpful understanding of discipleship because an apprentice is not someone that is a perfect reflection of the master but an apprentice is someone who is learning how to be like the master they claim to follow. And this is key to the discipleship process. Jesus has come to teach us a new way of life. Why? Because he doesn't just want to be an add-on to your old way of life. See, our old way of life is the very way of life that led Jesus to the cross to die for our sins in the first place. Jesus doesn't want us to continue living the very patterns and forms of brokenness that led him to die for our guilt and shame that he might offer us forgiveness. He only wants to offer us forgiveness, but transform the very patterns of our life that lead us to live in the brokenness of this world. 
See, Johnny didn't come to become a kung fu master by telling everybody that he was hanging out with Mr. Miyagi. He didn't become a kung fu master by just saying, yeah, well, you know, I go to Mr. Miyagi's house and sit and watch Mr. Miyagi do kung fu. No, he became a kung fu master by submitting himself, by humbling himself, and by realizing that sometimes learning how to do something you've never learned how to do isn't always fun. But duty sometimes leads to delight. And this is the heart of the Christian faith. This is the heart of what Jesus has on offer for us. See, when Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest in Matthew 11, chapter 28, he's talking about the first step of what it means to become a disciple of Christ. The first step is justification. And what I mean by this is Jesus is saying, listen, the Pharisees are putting all these heavy religious burdens on everyone saying, if you wanna be loved by God, if you wanna be forgiven, then you need to perform. You need to go to synagogue, read the Torah, do all these things, don't work on the Sabbath. Then you get to be forgiven. Jesus steps into this and he feels the heavy burden of religion on everybody. And he says, no, 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 come to me. Let me give you rest from religion. Let me give you forgiveness and love and grace just as you are. See, justification is when we don't work for the acceptance of God, but live from the acceptance of God. Justification is the moment when we say, Jesus Christ, I repent of my sins. I decide you are my Lord and Savior, and I choose to follow you. We become justified, which means we are in right relationship with God. But then Jesus doesn't leave it there. He goes on, and what does he say? For I come, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He doesn't want you to continue to return to the very burden that he removed from our lives at the cross of Calvary. So he says, come, let me teach you what it means to walk in a rhythm that doesn't lead to brokenness. If justification is where it begins, the next step is called sanctification. And sanctification is the process of learning to walk in the way that Jesus walked and learning to say no to the things that lead us to sin and brokenness in our life. And every single person who's called to be a follower and disciple and apprentice of Jesus is called, not only gets the gift of justification, but the invitation of sanctification as well. See, the Pharisees told everyone, you need to live for acceptance. And Jesus offered a way of life, a rhythm that says you can live from acceptance so that you don't have to do all these things that I might love you. I invite you to do these things because I love you. That's what Jesus is inviting us to do. It means that when we say yes to Christ, He's going to teach us how to no longer walk in the brokenness of the world around us. See, so many times as Christians, we say, come as you are. And it's true. Come as you are. Come with all your addictions, your brokenness, your questions and confusions about sexuality and, and selfishness and greed and porn and lust and all these things. Come as you are. Don't deal with your brokenness before coming to Jesus. He takes your brokenness currently where it is. He's not afraid of it. But Jesus never said, come as you are and stay as you are. Because as you are is the problem. He says, come as you are and let me transform who you are. Too many Christians walk in the forgiveness and love of Christ without recognizing that to say yes to Jesus means that he's going to invite you in to say no to things in your world. And just to sidebar for a moment, 
When people say to me, Michael, do I have to change my sexual morality before coming to know Jesus? No, you don't. Come to know Jesus with all of your brokenness, wherever it is. But know this, Jesus will want to have a conversation with you about what it means to submit our sexual preferences and desires and longings to him. Michael, do I have to change my greed and my lust or my selfishness before coming to Jesus? No, no, no. The issue is you can't change yourself. Come to Jesus and he takes you as you are. He adopts you into his family as you are. But as you become a part of his family, he says, come and let me transform who you are to be who I purposed you to be. See, sanctification is not just the moment of saying yes to Christ. It's also saying, hey, Jesus, what are the things in my world that I need to start saying no to? Ruth Haley Bottom says, emphasizes the need for spiritual disciplines, for, for, for these rhythms like this. She says, I cannot transform myself or anyone else for that matter. What I can do is create the condition of which spiritual transformation can take place by developing and maintaining a rhythm of spiritual practices that keep me open and available to God. See, what, what, what Ruth is saying here is that when you come to follow Jesus, he wants to teach you how to create space that he might show you what it means to become who he's called you to be. Maintain a rhythm, she says. These rhythms throughout the history of the church, they've been called spiritual disciplines. And these spiritual disciplines are the wax on and wax off of the Christian faith. They don't teach us to become Kung Fu masters, but they teach us to become like the master, Jesus Christ. And some of you, when I said discipline, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't come here for religion. I didn't come here for rules and legality and all this stuff. I'm out. And it's because we have a really bad understanding of what a spiritual discipline is. John Mark Comer says it like this in his book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. A discipline is an activity I can do by direct effort that will enable me to do that which I cannot do by direct effort. Okay, what the heck does that mean? Do you remember when you learned how to drive a car? I remember watching my dad drive a car when I was young. I'm like, I can't wait to know the delight of driving a car. So when I was 16 and a half, I was like, dad, teach me how to drive a car. And he took me out and I was shocked by how difficult and unenjoyable learning how to drive a car actually is. I remember one moment, dad was, uh, we were on a hill and he was teaching me how to do hill starts. And he's like, okay, Michael, you need to engage the clutch at the right moment. And when that happens, you need to take the handbrake off and the car will launch forward. And I'm like, I just couldn't conceive how that could happen. And I was trying so hard for five minutes and I, I was doing what, what, what's known as riding the clutch that the engine started to billow smoke up into the air and all the way down the street. My dad's like, turn off the car, turn off the car. In that moment, driving a car didn't feel great. I hated it. I wanted to give up and walk away. But my dad sat me on the side of the curb and he said, hey, hey listen, this is hard, but let's walk through what went wrong let me teach you what you could have done a bit better. And then let's see if we can have another go. Thankfully, I didn't destroy the car. And thankfully, my dad had the patience to walk me through the duty of the learning how to drive a car. So now I have the delight of being able to drive a car all on my own. So often we forget that sometimes it takes direct effort of learning how to do something to be able to do something by direct effort we've never been able to do, drive a car all by ourselves. And here's the beauty. You see, my father didn't teach me to drive a car so that I might earn his love. Because he loved me, he taught me how to drive a car because he knew the delight that was awaiting me was better than having to just say no to the duty and the pain of the learning. This is the same with Jesus. 
Jesus loves us enough that he says, come, let me teach you how to do things that may seem hard at first, but I trust me, the duty will transition to delight as you see who they allow you to become. This is what a spiritual discipline does. It is recognizing there are things you may not know how to do in following Christ, but it takes the humility of waxing on and waxing off that one day we actually become who Christ has called us to be. Dallas Willard describes a spiritual discipline like this. The disciplines are activities of mind and body purposefully undertaken to bring our personality and total being into effective cooperation with the divine order. They enable us more and more to live in a power that is strictly speaking beyond us, deriving from the spiritual realm itself. It's teaching us to live in a rhythm that we cannot find elsewhere in this world because nothing but the Holy Spirit is able to teach us how to become like Christ. And spiritual disciplines create a rhythm where we create space for the Holy Spirit to shape us into His image. Richard Foster, who wrote a great book um, called The Celebration of Discipline, I encourage you to read it. It's, it's beautiful. He says, God has given us the disciplines of the spiritual life as a means of receiving His grace. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that He can transform us. This is why Jesus says, come to me. Come create space with me, he says in Matthew 11, verse 28. And in 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The disciplines and practices and rhythms of our life are all leading us to become someone. Who are your disciplines and practices leading you to become? See, here's the truth. We all have spiritual disciplines. When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing that you do? How many of us, Look at our phone. That, friends, is a spiritual discipline. How many of us spend time scrolling through Netflix or, or the news or Facebook? That is a spiritual discipline. How many of us, whilst we're driving, use that time to be frustrated and angry or on the phone or distracted? That's a spiritual. These things are leading us to become someone. And what Jesus is saying, hey, you all have spiritual disciplines. The world has tricked you into thinking you don't, but you do. Are they leading you to become who you are called to be? And what Jesus is saying is, come learn from me. Come let me teach you the unforced rhythms of grace and, and I will show you what it looks like. You know, the Christian faith has a long history of disciplines that are seen in the life of Christ. The discipline of meditation, of prayer, of fasting, simplicity, fellowship, journaling, stewardship, Sabbath, solitude. We're actually going to spend over the next couple of weeks unpacking some of these disciplines that we feel God has called us as a church to celebrate and walk through in the rhythm of following Jesus. But before I explain two disciplines today that I just want to encourage us to question, where are they at in our life right now? I want to remind you that these things are not a command. John Mark Comer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says like this, but Jesus never commands you to wake up in the morning and have a quiet time or read your Bible. He never commands it. He never says you have to live in a community or practice the Sabbath, give your money to the poor or any of the core practices of his way. He just does these practices and then he says this, come follow me. And as we said earlier, many scholars argue a better translation of Jesus's original language is apprentice under Friends, if these things were good enough for Jesus, should they not be blessings that we get to learn as well? Are you willing to become an apprentice, a disciple of Christ this year? Are you willing to recognize that unless you've been promoted to glory and have gone before us to heaven, that you still have learning to do 
and what it means to follow Jesus. And so today I want to invite you to consider two spiritual disciplines that, that um, in February we're going to institute as part of the rhythm of our church. And the first one is, is to ask the question, where does the spiritual discipline or rhythm of Scripture sit in your day-to-day life? Now, many of us will say, well, Michael, I don't have time or I don't don't know how to read the Bible. In February on Vision Sunday, I'm going to invite our church to start reading through the whole Bible together this year, that we as a church might read through the whole Bible. Now, that might be too much. So we're going to have another option to just read through the New Testament as well. And and you can choose whatever rhythm is going to best suit you. But, But here's what I found out. Did you know that it would take the average person 12 minutes a day to read through the entire Bible in a year. 12 minutes. I don't have time. 12 minutes a day. Friends, there is a generational problem occurring in the church where we are biblically illiterate. More and more Christians have not read the full canon of Scripture. And so they do not know the character or voice of God. And God invites us into this gift saying, I wrote this so that you would know me. And as a church this year, starting in February on Vision Sunday, we are going to step into that boldly. We're going to resource you in what it means to read the Bible, how to read the Bible. And it's not going to be easy. But I guarantee you this, if you can do this with us, God will take what seems like a duty and make it a delight as He teaches you the eternal truth of His Scripture. And I would love you to pray over that over the next coming weeks. How might God be asking you to read His Word this year? The second thing is this. I would love you to pray about what does it look like to be a part of the spiritual rhythm, spiritual discipline of community this year? We believe that it's a spiritual discipline that weekly we gather for fellowship and worship here on Sunday mornings. An average church attendance is one out of every three Sundays. And I wonder what it might look like if we recognize that Christ calls us to do this every week. Hebrews 10 verse 25, do not forsake the weekly gathering of the saints. And if all you can do this year is commit to weekly rocking up a church, not because you have to as a Christian, but because you're choosing to say, Jesus, I'm creating space to learn what it looks like to become more like you. The second opportunity for community, which I would say is vital for us, is to open the scriptures to pray and read and grow together. And in February at the Gold Coast, we're going to be launching our small groups. And you may not have had a small group this year, but what would it look like for you to slow down your life enough that we might step into a small group together? And you might be like, Michael, I don't need to read the Bible with other Christians. What if other Christians need to read the Bible with you, to walk with you, be in community with you, break bread with you, enjoy life with you? And I'm going to expand more of these on these over the coming months. But here's my question. What do these rhythms look like for you today? Because these were rhythms that Christ celebrated. And he's the rhythms that he invited us to do as well. You'll never learn the delight of playing the guitar without the discipline of practice. So too, you cannot become Tommy Emmanuel unless you're willing to learn how to play a chord. So too it is with Jesus. How are we building rhythms of grace into who we are, into the life and creating space for the Holy Spirit to speak to us? You know what, Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he actually highlights how important this stuff is. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, one of the greatest teachings that Jesus ever um, espoused during his time on earth, he says this in, verse, in chapter 7, verse 24 of Matthew. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine, puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because at its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Two men, Jesus says, 
One man hears the word of the Lord and is like when the storms come, he has practiced what he's heard. And he analogizes that as to being like a man who actually chooses to build his house on the rock of foundation. So when the trial of the world comes, the storms of the world comes, what happens? The practices he has conducted in his life of practicing, not perfecting, practicing the way of Christ has allowed him to stand firm in a time of trial. But another man who wanted an easy life and said, the duty is too hard. The spiritual disciplines are too hard. I don't have time. He built his house where it was convenient. He built his house upon Netflix, upon the internet, upon Facebook, upon Instagram. And when the storms of life come, what happened? Everything broke apart. See, Jesus in this moment says, you know, I didn't just come to go and die on a cross. He spends three years teaching us the way. He spends three years teaching us His way. Why? So when we come to know Him and walk with Him and follow Him, He says, practice these things. Not so that storms never come, but COVID-19 came. And you want to know my observation as a pastor, the people who struggled in their relationship with Jesus was those people whose intimacy with Christ only existed in a public space. There was no private and personal rhythm of discipline. But those people who thrived in lockdown were those who had practiced the way of Christ, that when the storm came, the foundation of their practice stood firm in the middle of a storm. Didn't mean they didn't suffer, but they could not be shaken as their life was built on the rock, the truth, and the way and the works of Jesus Christ. Friends, I cannot guarantee you 2021 will not have storms, but Jesus invites us not to build to avoid the storm, but to build a life that can withstand and endure it, not just for this life, but for eternity. This is why the practices of Jesus are essential. What are the practices that you are following and are they strong enough to withstand the storm? And it all begins with desire. You know, last week I spoke about the idea that Mary and Martha were two different people, that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus because she desired to become like Christ. Spiritual disciplines should not come because we desire to look like we are doing the right thing, but they should be motivated by desire that we want to become like the one who went to the cross for us. Ruth Haley Barton says it like this, uh, this depth of desire has a great deal to do with the outcome of our life. Often those who accomplish what they set out to do in life are not those who are the most talented or gifted or who have had the best opportunities. Often they are the ones who are most deeply in touch with how badly they want whatever they want. They are the ones who consistently refuse to be deterred by the things that many of us have allowed to become excuses. You know, what I would say Ruth is saying here is this. Our decision to live in the rhythm and way of Christ will be directly defined by how much we desire to live a life like Jesus. That's where it starts. Jesus lived the life we couldn't live. He died a death we should have died. And in the whole midst of that, he says, you know what? Come follow me. Come apprentice under me. Let me teach you the unforced rhythms of grace that I can teach you a better way to live. If you want the abundant life Jesus has on offer, then we must humble ourselves to learn to wax on and wax off the way Jesus did himself. The master is calling for apprentices. The master is calling for disciples. What are your rhythms this year? And are you willing just to experiment with us and see if by the power of the Holy Spirit, these rhythms of grace might move from duties to delights? Let me pray. 
Dear Lord Jesus, I believe firmly that you have given us practices and rhythms not to earn your love or earn your favor because God, I don't read my Bible so that you will love me. I read my Bible because I believe you do love me and I want to know you better. I don't pray, God, just to earn your acceptance. Well, you accept me so I get to talk to you. God, I pray you would humble us as a people that we would submit ourselves to be your apprentices this year to following the way of Jesus that we would become like your son. That no matter the storm, no matter the trial, no matter the suffering, you would help us to build a life on the firm foundation and rock and truth of Jesus Christ. That nothing will be able to shake the finished work of Jesus Christ, the cross of Calvary, and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our life every single day. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it costs, Lord, teach us what it means for duty to become delight this year. I thank you for inviting us to follow you. I pray we would have the courage to say yes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.